Hello and welcome to the point of everything. Today on the show is Ishbini Neheran, aka Adam Holohan, and Tomas Mulligan, aka the hardest working men in Ireland. Formed at some point over the past five or so years while both were working at the Cobblestone Bar in Smithfield, and after a bit of a delay, mock possibly have delayed things over the past three or so years. They've just released their debut album and it's called The Hardworking Men. A trad band, as you might have guessed from their name, which yes, does translate as Sausages of Ireland, through to tracks like their own original, Please Don't Start the Fun and Spansel Hill, set to the tune of The Animal's House of the Rising Sun. There's a lot of fun to be had across the album. You might have heard Tomas on the show a few weeks ago, talking about another of their originals, Talk to Joe, which is about his time working on Live Line with Joe Duffy. Hopefully that gives a little bit of a sense of the band, but they're also serious about it too. The day before we chatted, there was a show on RT about the cobblestone, which is run by Tomas's dad, Tom. The first part focused on how it's such an important landmark for music in the city, for young people and for old. And the second part, which aired yesterday, November 29th, was about the protests launched to save the place. You might have spotted Adam and Tomas near the front, carrying the coffin. Don't worry, we talk about all that and more. There's a lot of coffin talk. You can watch back the documentary on the RT player as well. And you can get the album at ashbini.bandcamp.com and you'll hear them give their session dates during the course of the interview. I think they're doing four days a week hence the hardest working men moniker so we'll get into the chat it was done in the back of the cobblestone on a wet wednesday afternoon last week let's take a listen to the title track first Stone. Of course you can, yeah. started, just because I watched that programme um, on RTE there on Tuesday night, first of two parts, and obviously the second part is going to be uh, um, on, after this episode, is up talking about the whole protest and the bid to save the cobblestone. So what's the state of it at the moment? Oh, that's a good question. Um, is everything hunky-dory? Uh, hunky-dory would be a bit of a loaded term now to, I suppose, uh, use... We don't know would be the shortest answer that I could give on that. There's not going to be a hotel for, built for the foreseeable future. Yeah, those plans were abandoned and they were kind of wrecked. Uh, we've tried to talk to the landlord about, like, I don't know, is it possible for the family to buy this? And see, the thing is, we don't know who's running the show with him. Like, we don't know if it's him or if he's 
or if he's got advisors or sons running it, uh, because you ask him one thing and you get a kind of vague answer, and then the actions of like the company that run the business uh, would speak completely different to what he would have agreed to. For example, when Tom asked after the Dublin City Council decision was made, was he going to appeal it? To his face, he was told, no, I'm not going to appeal it. And then the next day, an appeal was lodged, and that like, broke Tom's heart. Just around, just around 11 months ago, it was actually just on the week leading up to Christmas. So we don't know. We don't know that... Uh, we don't know if they're going to try and like jack up the rent and force the cobblestone out. Or, uh, it's just, just very little transparency and engagement with it. It's kind of it's a faceless entity you're really dealing with, and that's the scary thing. How long has your dad had it? He's been here since uh, 1987 was when he first pulled a pint behind this bar, I think. It was there before? Yeah, it's been Sorry. a pub since... I think Stuart Redden and some of the lads from the um, uh, his historical society around the area um, were able to date a pub on this corner back to 1670. Wow. So, yeah. You before, can feel the history. Before the Battle of the Boyne. Like it's, uh, it's quite a piece of history. And then just to, to slap uh, like a kind of dull, homogenized red brick hotel on it. It's just it's just to pad someone's pockets. Like it's, it just it ignores history. Yeah, it was kind of the same in Cork recently enough. There was a music venue in the Kino, which is a it was a, an art house cinema. The art house cinema went away. The the there was a music venue there, and then the people running it kind of got kicked out because the plans were to build student apartments on top, and nothing has been done yet. You know, so you're kind of like, what's what's going to happen? So I don't know. It's uh Hopefully it'll be okay for the cobblestone, but like, I mean, does it feel like it's kind of got a new lease of life in the past year since those protests? Well, it's nearly a year. Like, it's just, this is going on over a year, and if those protests haven't happened, hadn't have happened, who knows? Maybe there'd be construction going on right now. You don't know. Like, has this like it's it's as I said, it's over a year. So, what will the place have been like if no one fought for it or? No one bothered to try and appeal the ridiculous idea to put a hotel here. Would have been halfway up, I don't know. And you guys were leading the protests, I presume, were you? Um, those is it? Was it a pro? It was a protest, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, like uh, we, you guys were at the front carrying the coffin, I presume. We, were you? Yeah, we were part of it. It's our coffin, you see. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. <laughs> uh, well, that's a long story about. Uh, but there was nobody in there. No, there wasn't. Not when we. Uh, we, put, we stole at the it. end of the night. We it was a, st- yeah, stolen, it's a stolen coffin. coffin yeah. it oh, okay. It's a stolen display coffin, and uh, I, I've spoken to um, the owner. I, I, do you know what? I'll go out on a limb here and say previous owner of said coffin. Well, they're not getting it back. Not, yeah, he's not getting it back. And uh, where, where is it at the moment? I'll tell you. It is. It's actually above your head at the moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's where it is. It's, it's used to um, store. As it has been for the last like four years, it's been used to store ridiculous props that Adam and I might use for gigs or um, ostentatious public displays of. We had the coffin before, way before any of this shit started. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was sitting. It so actually how the 
coffin came about is that we we had a the day of the day of the first cobblestone protest. Um, it was it was after a, it was the the morning after a gig that we had in Chennai. Um, we were opening up for a lad called Sean O'Mara. And we went for dinner before in Oscars across the road. And Adam just said, this, if this goes ahead, it's going to be like, this is going to be like a funeral march to the cobblestone. And like, it was just killing Dublin, in my opinion. And it's like the death of culture. So wouldn't it be a good idea if we led the march like so, we could bring the coffin down? Like the moment he said that, it was like, "Wow!" Like that—that's an idea that's just been like, feels like it would have been there in front of you the whole time. But like Adam vocalised it, and yeah, if it wasn't—if it wasn't for Adam, th- that coffin wouldn't have been on that march. I don't think I ever would have thought of it. Regretted it very much about oh. ten feet after we <laughs> yeah, got out of the bus. It was awful to carry, despite a sign on it saying, "I am a cardboard coffin." Jeez, I've never felt cardboard that heavy. Now, like. <laughs> There's no handles on it or anything. No, the no. normal coffin, you'd have the nice brass handles or whatever. And did you, have, did you, like, you went into the city council offices, wasn't it? That was very, yeah. that was very led. And down by Merchant's Arch. Yeah, that was the thing, because the thing was going on with the, the planning permission granted to build a hotel over Merchant's Arch. So um, somebody uh, decided it would, like, it would be a fitting um fitting like uh, idea to go across the Haypenny Bridge. That's great. Like I've seen the shots from it on that documentary that was on on Tuesday there and like it it's kind of like an iconic image, you know, marching that coffin across the Haypenny Bridge. But God it was sore. I was afraid I was gonna drop it in. <laughs> <laughs> and our instruments were in it as well. Yeah, so. that's it. We oh okay, right, right, right. And then like the protest ends and then you're gonna left with the coffin oh, and like, yeah. how do we get this? Very old? funny story we're getting it back, yeah. but we're not allowed to I think we can tell it now. I think he's all right with it. Oh really? Yeah. So a friend of ours works for uh let's say the biggest sporting organization in the country. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they had given him a company car, an electric car, to, uh, I think he, st- he could still be driving it, maybe he's not, maybe it's a she I'm talking about, I don't want to rat anyone out, but um, this person offered to uh, offered to help us take the coffin back to the cobblestone, and essentially we had to lie in the back of the car, because it couldn't close fully, and uh, we had to put all the seats down and we had to weigh down the coffin while we drove um, through all the back roads of the north side of Dublin. So we weren't spotted and then like sneak it into the pub and uh, we had to stop anyone filming us just in case. Why? Just in case he got in trouble for using a company oh, okay, car right, to yeah, transport yeah, yeah. what could look like a, a, a body. <laughs> to be fair our political <laughs> I suppose like yeah yeah we didn't know where anybody would really stand on the whole idea of protesting to save a pub at the time like because yeah we did get a lot of like negative comments from people on Twitter being like oh it's a dingy old building you know just these people stand in the way of progress people are calling us nimbies and stuff like that you know yeah not in my backyards you know those types like yeah, you know, like literally defending the destruction of a cultural institute uh, in the name of somebody padding a bank account that they'll never empty. 
Yeah. Well, we could spend the whole thing talking about the cobblestone, I suppose. Um, but I'm guessing the Spini and Heron story starts here as well. It you, absolutely does. You guys yeah. both work here? Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot less these days yeah. because we're, we're getting busy, uh, which is a blessing and a curse, mostly a blessing. Um, so Adam actually was friends with my dad, Tom, before he was ever friends with me. Didn't like him. Yeah, it took him a while to warm to me. It did. <laughs> um, went to went to Ballyfermer College. With yeah, my dad, we yeah. were on the the trad uh, traditional music performance course together. And I said, "Have you got a pub?" He said, "Yeah, give us a job, will you?" <laughs> that was that. I know. I'd, I'd only been here once or twice before. You're on the course with his dad. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we went okay. to school together. <laughs> uh, yeah, I always tell people that. Uh, no, but he was kind enough to give me a job, and I'm still here, nearly eight years later. Great. What was the course like? That was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. recommended for anyone that plays traditional music. Like there was people in their seventies doing it, you know. Like, and then I was the youngest. I was eighteen at the time. Like, great kind of mad kind of college experience, you know, going to people who are going to college with people who are a lot older than you, and like from my age up, good mix. Strange, but great times, like great sessions in pubs around the place, Chasers and Ballyferma, Tim Young's, Scaldy Days. <laughs> Good crack, though. I haven't heard people doing like a course in trad music yeah. before. Like, are you, are you learning the history of it as well? Yeah, yeah. Really? It's not wow. just playing it. They, they're, they teach you a lot of tunes and songs and stuff, but then you learn about regional styles and and things like that, you know. Um, instrumentation classes, obviously, as well. If if you're struggling with anything, they have great tutors there. Then you have options to go on and do a degree, which I did years later in media management, or you could go down to Limerick and do the, the masters or the yeah the masters in traditional music and dance. Like it does. Like I didn't coming I coming out of school, I hadn't a clue what I wanted to do. I know kind of like music, so I said, Shafeka, I'll, I'll trance this for two years and see what happens. It was trad music that you yeah. like doing as well, yeah? Yeah, it's just trad music. Uh, I didn't want to... I didn't know what I wanted to do enough to commit to like a four-year degree in college or whatever, so I said, I'll, I'll do that and see where it takes me. Then I, I just worked here for a few years, and then during COVID, went back and did a degree in media. And, but I, I wouldn't have been able to... I wouldn't have had the points in my leaving cert to do a degree... So I just spent the two years doing the, the level seven, uh, five or six, I can't remember what it was, in tr- traditional music. So great, great kind of stepping stone for me anyway. But a lot of people just did it because they love traditional music. Like Tom went back. Tom already had a degree in folklore, hasn't it? History and folklore. History and f- he oh, had wow. a degree already, so he just went to do it just to, just to learn a few more tunes and... and be involved in playing with other people, you know. They they organise concerts in the back room here. Um, that the students actually have to organise themselves, put together groups, get posters, all of it. Really teach you how to how to actually organise an event. And like, was, I did my first gig with it, and I wouldn't have I wouldn't have had that opportunity, I suppose, to play on stage if it wasn't for that. You know. That's great. And handy that Tom had the pub already. <laughs> the ve- he had the venue already, yeah, like you're yeah. halfway there. Yeah. Didn't have to look very far for a venue. <laughs> what about you, Tomas? How did you get into trad music? Did you always play it and enjoy it when you were growing up? Uh, 
always played it. Didn't didn't always enjoy it growing up. Um, yeah, I was I was very uh, rebellious young lad when I was a teenager. But I'd been around the music all my life. Like my first home was upstairs here. Um, oh, you used to live above the pub. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Like um, until I was about two or three, uh, and I just have memories of running around the place. Uh, upstairs when there was a, still a functional bar up there and uh, down here um, just like kind of any like my, my dad would take me around like during summer you know he'd be landed with me and uh, and my sister so I would have spent a lot of time around here I think I started playing the whistle moved on to the fiddle the fiddles when it started annoying me you know the, the, the scratchy sound of a badly played fiddle was was all I was hearing any time I touched it, uh, and then I think I got pushed on to the accordion, which I was like mildly better at, but um, I I think I was just maybe quite thin skinned in that if anyone in school would have found out, sometimes you would have got slagged about it, and I just never really I suppose until I was much older got to see. Uh, like my peers engaging in the music, you know, I just, I, I kind of pushed against it and also like I felt I was forced to do it as a kid. So I think around like 16, I stopped playing and like I just went through just a very bad time. I, like I dropped out of school by 17, like I would have been, I would have been like heavily on the drink then for years, just kind of like pushing people close to me, away from me. And then, I don't know, I think it was maybe around my 21st birthday, I had like, my dad got me a guitar made by Frank Tate uh, because I had just, I had settled down, like maybe by the time I was 20 a little bit, started going back to school and I started just like playing the guitar a bit more. And I think even against my ma's wishes, he was like, no, I'm gonna get him this guitar. and. If you ask him now, he'll say that's the best thing that he ever that he ever gave me. Uh, because just since the age of twenty one, uh, and it coincided with just like me kind of like pulling my life back together, um, and going and pursuing more education. Um, and I I went to went to UCD and studied some of the same subjects that my dad did. I took folklore as an elective, and one of my first assignments in folklore was go and sit in in an Irish music session and document your findings. So I just went in the beer for the night, you know, and then made up made up an assignment the next day and uh, did quite well in it because I'm just writing about writing about a, a multitude of experiences I've had in that session. And, yeah, I, I, like, I wouldn't have had a lot of confidence on it because I think I left music at some very crucial years. Like, I would have been in... I would have been in music classes, group music classes with um, John Francis Flynn in Clontarf Celtus, or Kiltory Clontarf, actually. Not a member of Celtus. Um, and for good not reason. a member of Celtus. Uh, not a member of Celtus, yeah. need to stress that point. But um, every Saturday there would have been like band practice, big group kill practice, where like 20 or 30 musicians uh under 12s, under 15s, under 18s would have gotten together and learned how to play together with the uh, with the goal of like entering into like the Dublin, Leinster and All-Ireland flower or feshes around the place. And uh, John was in that with me. It's actually how I know John since I was about 14. But when I was about 16, 
I left it, just kind of rebelling against everything. And then came back to it, like, I, I never really went back to the accordion. It's the dream to go back to it someday, but came back to it with the guitar, and I just felt like I was starting from scratch again. So it took me a, a long time to gain confidence or, or any skill whatsoever uh, on that front. But I did it with the with the encouragement and acceptance of some of like the senior musicians that would play up in the cobblestone, people that Adam and I would have been friends with. Um, Mick O'Grady, um, Pat Good, two men that passed away this year. But if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be playing at any sort of a level. Like they called me in, even when, even when my playing was like dog shit bad. They called me in and were like, "No, give it a go. Sing a song. Do something. St will you stay around with us? Will you give us a hand? You know." And it would have been like true playing in their sessions and stuff like that. That I suppose, uh, like Adam would have played with them a bit. Uh, that we would have. Maybe, do you remember the first time we ever played together, Adam? Um, myself and yourself? Yeah. Remember we came in here to do a practice one day? Oh, yeah, and some fella came in and thought he was giving us lessons. <laughs> I'll just sing a bit, you know. You need to sing, need to sing a bit I'm a professional singer myself. This fella would shatter glass now with his voice, like, and, uh, uh, and he listened to us sing a song, and he just goes, that's... That's exactly what I'm saying, and he walked out. And, and he, he was, was the first manager you ever had. I tell you, he, he'd swear he was, because he told he was telling people he taught us everything we knew for years. I'm, I'm Tomas' singer-coach. <laughs> yeah, I think it, we practiced like just right around here in 2017, maybe. Yeah, it was sort of, it was sort of a trip to, to Slovakia. Slovakia. Yeah, we were going on a music trip to Slovakia. That would, would have its roots in... Uh, like kind of the Ballyfermot course that um, but there was a lady here uh, that used to work here uh, from Slovakia and she asked Tom could he organise musicians and he brought over uh, a, a band from that Ballyfermot course and it just kind of became a bit more of a thing and then Adam and I had the had the privilege to uh, pay our way on that trip one year and we went out and just kind of threw a few songs together that we liked playing and we're like when we get back, we'll we'll keep this up, and I think about like six months later, we finally put a name on the band, which was the name that made us laugh the most. But I mean, tell me about the name, man. It literally is that is that is it. We I were, love how ridiculous it is. We were sitting at, sitting at the bar inside, supposed to do a concert for like festival promoters. In here, we, we were, were supposed to go on first. Yeah, it wasn't our fault. No, we went on. We ended up going on second last because a lot of people were in a rush to go other places, and we sat there drinking the strongest beer in the house, an accidentally made beer um, that they just had to put a different name on it because the percentage was so out of whack. Called Torque Torque Fion. Yeah. Uh, oh, I love that you remember it. It's Wild Bar. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we had we had a we had a scatter of them. And uh, we're like, we need to put a name on this stuff. And I can't remember any of the other names that were mentioned, but that one had us laughing for a good while. And we're like, fuck it, we'll go for it. And then we set it on stage, and I got a mild chuckle from some people out in the audience. And no one's laughing now. Yeah, that's when we knew we had them by the short and the curlies. 
any regrets about calling <laughs> calling yourselves as Feeney the Heron or anything? Uh, Do you think it'll hold you back or anything like that? It could. It could in America, but like, how long is America going to last? You know, the <laughs> band will probably outlast it. <laughs> it's got, th- it's got a lot of attention. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I don't think, I don't think anyone would be interested in. Uh, <laughs> And, and well, back then, anyway, when yeah. we were terrible at music, no one would have been interested in giving us a gig if we were called like Tomas and Adam or something. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it does make T-N-A. people laugh. So, like, ah, that's gas. We get them in. Did you always think that you kind of be like, you know, a fun, funny band as well? Because that's the way kind of trad music usually goes, isn't yeah. it? You can go kind of the humorous Richie Kavanagh type mm-hmm. stuff, or you can go like the the deadly serious, like Paul Brady. Yeah. Well, like initially, like we, we started out as, I suppose, provocateurs. <laughs> the, the name uh, actually hides the fact that we're not very funny at all. <laughs> we did actually get a review on the album there that was like... Um, Musically, like this album is is very good. Now, this is the gist. I'm just summarising the man's review. Uh, he was like, musically, it's quite quite all right, but uh, I don't think the lads are as funny as they think they are. <laughs> Which, fair enough, you know. Yeah, we kind of like we started out taking the piss out of everything, you know. Irish music takes itself very serious, and uh, so we started out by like going, "Do you reckon anyone would notice if we just played the same tune over and over and over again?" And uh, a lot of musicians did notice, but like found it, found our commitment to the whole gag hilarious. And um, that's it's it's the first and the last tune on our album now, the Silver Spear. Uh, we got away, we got away with murder playing that tune. say like will they realize we're playing it again and again like yeah. how much in a night are you talking about playing it what's like, the record 30 
30 St. Patrick's yeah, Day, hour, 2019 yeah. in, in the Molly Malone Bar, 30 I, times. Yeah. Was it a four-hour gig? It, was a four, it had to be a four-hour gig, yeah. I thought it was three. I was going, it was like on average once every six to ten minutes. But like, uh, just yeah. after, like, you know, the format is you do a song, then you go into a tune, do a song, go into a tune. So after every song, you just go into the same tune. And it might be in a different key or something. But <laughs> That's the thing, yeah. you got to change the key up. <laughs> Everyone, like, no one noticed. <laughs> yeah, that, like, our whole idea was that, like, if you're playing in Temple Bar stuff, you're playing for a lot of tourists who aren't used to this music, you know, but they're coming over here to see it. So if you keep playing the same tune over and over again in, like, different keys and, and different styles and, and sometimes different timings, um, what we noticed is that every time we did it, they'd get a bit more rowdier, and we were like, we're actually conditioning them. To 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 be used to this tune, and they they, they don't even know. <laughs> so yeah, we got we got some serious mileage out of that. We since learned a few other tunes. Um, is is the session like? Do you enjoy doing it in Temple Bar? No, no, no. <laughs> we don't really do a Temple Bar session. Yeah, we have, yeah, we've we've done a few, but like not a lot. You know, it's uh, yeah. I, it's, I presume that's kind of like. Where the money is in a way, though. Yeah, so. yeah, but it's also sewed up as well. Like you know, it's people, the same guys doing people it. People be not that for years, and there's people who do like maybe like three of those gigs a day. And um, thing that thing that I'm loving at the moment is that we're getting contacted by pubs who may have never had sessions before, and they're just being like, it's it, it's it kind of speaks to the fact that like the music and the culture is hot at the moment. You know, it, it's. Just, experiencing a bit of a, I think uh, nationwide a bit of a Gaelic revival at the moment and uh, our avenue is the music and we're getting a we're getting a since some people are talking about us a bit more now we're getting a, a load of gigs in places that like I never even knew would have music at all and it's it's going beyond Temple Bar and I think it's a testament to to this place and the storms that it's endured throughout the years that like I, I don't think I've ever worked a day in here where there's not been any music on, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, where, where are you playing? You're, you call yourselves the hardest working man in, in men in Ireland. What's oh. your, what is your week session-wise uh, looking like? Uh, when I was looking at the press release, it was listing three, three weekly yeah, sessions, I think. I think. I think we're on four, four now. Four now, yeah. Four now. So Monday in the Cobblestone, Tuesday in the, in the Antisocial on Francis, uh, Francis Street. Wednesday is... Wednesday's free. Wednesday's the day off. Wednesday's Don't give us a gig on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday's the day off at the moment. Thursday in Heinz's. And Sunday, or Heinz's is up on Prussia Street. And Sunday in Dudley's on Thomas Street. And Friday and Saturday kind of being kept free because, well, we have a, we have, we're doing a wedding in Mead this week. And then we're opening for the Scratch in Galway. Oh, class. On Saturday. And then... Uh, I think that then we're all playing a few tunes with Sharon Shannon on Sunday, so we've had to give have to give our Dudley's gig to a band called Varro for that week. Oh yeah, they're great. Yeah, they are. Class yeah. girls, yeah. Wow, what what are you doing with Sharon Shannon? Just supporting her or playing in her band? No, there's um there's like this charity event on in Clifton. Um and geez, I'm gonna kick myself now that I actually can't remember what charities it's for, but um we're going down with the scratch anyway, just to play a few tunes with uh, I think Sharon Shannon will be there maybe Donald Lunny and uh, 
It's in Clifton. I think that's the hotel that uh, the golf gate thing happened in. Oh, yeah, sure. yeah, Clifton, yeah. Yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gas. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we're going down there for the night. It's just the, the people that you're getting to meet around now. Uh, it's just it's great crack, you know. That's nice. Are you friends with the the scratch? Ah, oh, we love them. We're, yeah. we're big fanboys of them. They're so good. Our scratch. Our scratch. We got. <laughs> they uh, look. They they gave us the biggest break that we've had so far. Um, we've been on tour with them in Cork. We did the Olympia with them, which just to us is like mind blowing that we actually even did that and uh, we were in Belfast with them last Friday and Galway, Limerick, uh, London, Brighton and Clannacilty coming up around Christmas. Oh right, you're going to be down in uh, De Bars. Yes. That's yeah. like two days before Christmas or yes, something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm from Roscarbury, so I'm, I know well, Bars very well. I might, I might try and get I'll in. I'll talk yeah, in. Yeah, it. Yeah. Go crack. They're just so good. I might yeah. have to spend Christmas there. <laughs> yeah, might not be able to get back, back up. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they, yeah, they're, they're just like in my opinion, these lads are—they've got something really special. You know, they are the best, best live band on the go in this country at the moment. Uh, like uh, the experience at the, and we've seen them like loads now at this stage. You know, like I've seen them three times this month, man. I like I—I never get bored of the experience. People have the tops off. They're going mad. It's just, yeah. it's just really raw, animalistic, just a, a, a crazy experience that, like, probably would have given me a nervous breakdown in the middle of COVID, you know. But like, but we don't care about that anymore, you know. Uh, it's just, it's so raw. The lads are also sweethearts, and uh, just all their gigs are different. They, they've got a great rapport with the crowd, and they're like kind of something. They're like kind of something to aspire to. That like. Their their performances are absolute lunacy, but like they are such grounded lads as well that yeah, you kind of just being around them, you're getting to experience that uh, that balance and uh, just yeah, they're always on a good buzz. They're the best of friends, and they're and they're just nice to everyone around them. That's great. That's great. Um, I don't know. Is it just because you work in the cobblestone that you kind of know everybody? You've mentioned a good few names of people who have played in acts and who are currently playing music as well like is it just that all of you are just friends and you all kind of support each other it seems like a very close-knit scene yeah it's a it's a great scene i think that like like even like so it was a, a, a good friend of ours killian uh, flanagan that adam is playing with in the concert hall this uh, Saturday is it? Uh, open oh wow! Up, open up for Lisa O'Neill. Oh, class! And like he'd be a very good friend of ours, a very good friend of J- John Francis Flynn's. And um, we were just talking there recently, like about 2016. We call it the year of the big point, you know. That <laughs> we were all just like, we're all, we're all broke, still all broke. <laughs> oh God, not <nothing> just. <laughs> but like, you know. It's it, yeah. It's just I don't know. We we all just like kind of came up together. Never really had massive like expectations for ourselves in terms of this music. Was always just music was a thing that John and Killian did to get by. It was a thing I did because I I loved doing it and loved engaging with the lads. But now it's a thing I do to get by. And people, yeah, people kind of. People, people that I've never met before, are coming up like recognizing me and then asking me about the lads, you know. And, and like, there's still always be like the lads to us. 
And doing all of the sessions, I presume that your repertoire is growing as well. I mean, I've talked to Mary Wallopers and they say that they know hundreds, you know, they just have hundreds of tunes that they can whip out whenever they need, you know, like local songs made like Ross Carberry or Clonacilty as well. Are you the same? Do you think that you've just playing all of these sessions and being in on them all the time, like you're just building every day? Yeah, 100%. I can't tell you the last time I sat down and had to learn a tune because you're in so many sessions, you just kind of, if some if someone plays a tune that you don't know, you just you see like kind of seeps into your head. It's a bit scary sometimes. <laughs> but if they're if you're playing a tune that you don't know, do you still join in or do you just sit it out? Do you figure it out halfway through? There's a line, I suppose. If you don't know it, don't play it. But if you kind of know it, kind of play it. <laughs> don't ruin this. Don't ruin the tune for other people. Is what I'm trying to say. Like you know, no point in coming in just playing random notes. Especially for jigs and reels and, and all of those tunes, but like if it's a so- it's a song, you can kind of I, I I can figure out how to play it most of the time. But like the tunes, once you hear the tunes a few times, you kind of seep into your head. Especially working here, actually, as well. Yeah, the tunes yeah. all the time. You just oh god, like <laughs> you you you'd be like you have no idea what the tune is called, but you can play it and you can't remember ever learning it because you didn't. You just picked it up by accident I've yeah I've seen I've, I like just watching Adam throughout the years like yeah I genuinely can't remember the last time he's told me that he sat down and learned a tune maybe during Covid when and everyone was like here let's challenge each other to learn tunes but I've like watched him in sessions particularly throughout the, like the last year just go from like not knowing something to like just kind of tinkering along uh, picking uh Maybe a week later, and then two weeks later, he's flat out playing. And it's just, it's mad. The human mind is a scary thing. Uh, 
let's talk through some of the tunes on um, the album. You mentioned John Francis Flynn. Yeah. I heard that he's the person doing the double and a double and a double and a double. Oh, that, that, that wouldn't be him. Commit you black and tans. That is a, that's a man called Kill the Soup oh. uh, who manages. Looks very like John Francis Flynn. Oh, okay, okay. But he seems, uh, he seems to have a bald head. Um, we'll start with Black and Tans We'll start at the back of the, We'll start at the end of the album And kind of wind our yeah, way that, through yeah. So um, Again Like I said ridiculous earlier It's just so ridiculous That double and double <laughs> I love it It's so funny so I think that's a funny part of the album It's my Do you know what The cards on the table It's my favourite track And the whole thing The guys are funny What are you talking <laughs> I just uh, Yeah I, I think that's the one That I had the most fun With It was It all like just came from Like Adam and John and I Like sitting around Having a pint uh, Pretending to be Boston gangster rappers. Yeah, yeah, that's it Because I have a cousin That is uh, called K-Mugs with, with two G's and two Z's, I think That if, like, YouTube, he's gas uh, He's like, he was born over in Boston And actually is a rapper And quite competent, you know Like, he just and We've had him over here before And uh, he's just such a novelty to everyone I uh, haven't seen him now in a few years but um, yeah, so I just when we were just dicking about, I think we we all formed rap personas. I decided to be Mugga T, you know, as to pay homage to him. And just uh, you'd be hearing you'd be hearing Yanks coming in all the time telling that joke. Like, Yo, so why is Dublin in the capital city of Ireland? Because it keeps doubling and doubling. And we were like, we should definitely work that into. A song, a gangster rap version of like Come Out Your Black and Tans. And then Fina Gale happened to go and honor the Black and Tans in, I think it was February 2020. And we were like, oh, we got to record this. And then we wanted to get it out, but the, the whole world shut down. So we just were kind of sitting on it uh, for about a year and a half and adding to it in our heads. And then uh, just kind of decided to make it like, I don't know, it's like one part. Uh, a piss take of like armchair republicanism because the whole song's about like a drunk coming home and challenging his neighbors to a fight thinking they're the black and tans like uh that's what the song is about yeah yeah every oh. single night when me dad would come home tight he'd invite his neighbors outside with this course and you know he's just screaming at the houses so i think like a lot of people mis misinterpret it like it's not really so much of a rebel song it's kind of like it's half rebel song half like you know like this is what we're like you know we've, we get hammered and talk about uh, revolution but <laughs> if you wake up in the morning you don't want to do it really uh, so yeah it was just it was uh, we got we got a load of people we got our friend Dara Kelleher in on it just to just to jaw jack a bit a bit of Dublin slang uh, Ono Canavan is lilting in it a bit um, use John synth to do some of the w weird sound effects in it, and uh, my sister Shiva is playing on it too. And uh, Sergeant James, of course. Oh yeah, the, so the sax on that actually comes from, uh, yeah, actually comes from uh, our friend Sergeant James. We call him. Uh, he's just he's just a wizard. He's playing he's playing the the cornet on it, which is like an old imperial horn. And the reason he wanted to put that through the track is like just to give off the the, the sounds of uh, the last vestiges of a dying empire, uh, you know, uh, a colonial goodbye to John Bull, so to speak. So there's there's loads of like mad ideas have gone into it, and I just 
Yeah, it's all open to interpretation as well. Like. Do you have many Rebel songs that you play? And do you ever like play them at the sessions? And uh, do you ever get like blowback from people? Uh, we've had blowback before from them. Uh, yeah, like we have a few, you know. There's a, uh, there's a few. Not that like, many. Not that many. Uh, there's a people few. People kind of know what they're getting into. As yeah, but like we wouldn't they? really do it in the cobblestone. Um, People are getting offended by songs in this day and age. Yeah, grow up. But they are like you know. I mean, and you're like you're singing, you're singing like it's Irish people singing Irish songs about an Irish experience. You know, like kind of fitting that we're having this conversation in November when like it's this is the month of the poppy, isn't it? You know, it is. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're if you can if you can bring up those songs without actually like wanting to engage in a discussion of as to why those songs exist then i feel like that maybe the argument might be a bit disingenuous like you know it's not like singing these songs isn't excusing anything that the ira did but you know the winners write history and the losers write songs and we have a rich musical history don't we we'll go to a song that is most definitely not a rebel song talk to joe uh, you've kind of told the story a little bit on the podcast before, but do you want to yeah. tell me more about working on Liveline? Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's great. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah great. Uh, fun. Um, it's just uh, also like just a very enjoyable day of work that you you go into you go into the studio and you meet the, the research journalists that work on it. And they're all like, they're all sound heads, you know, they're just trying to figure out like, What's going on in the country? What's great for a chat? What's also important? Because also, it is a the state-run service in the authority, and uh, like if there is a genuine problem or or fallout or like a concerning call, there, there's also like a duty of care there as well. That like for, for the difference between working there on the phones and working in a call center on the phones where they're just like sell something to that person and cut them loose uh i suppose just going into live line was uh, very refreshing for me i i did it i did it on uh summer holidays and easter holidays from teaching um within like 12 months of each other only about four weeks on it but uh yeah just Everyone in this country's nuts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got a story to tell. Yeah. They do, they do. And the thing that was just mad to me because I don't think that I well maybe maybe my my perspective on this kind of changed with the with the cobblestone protests. But before that, I, I never <laughs> imagined having a problem so big that I wanted to go and tell the entire country <laughs> about. <laughs> and just all these people would be ringing me, ringing up like there's a lot of lines in it that. Um, um, yeah, I was there like trying to, trying to like make up stuff. And Adam was like, "Man, all the stories that you've told me about that, like, there's just littered a song with yeah. that, you know." Like, uh, did you go on Lifeline around the protests? No, no? we were never oh, had okay. on, and maybe that's because of uh, a song we wrote about the thing. It was never meant. To be a dig at Joe. Uh, it doesn't sound like a dig. Like. No, it's not. No, he was always sound with me. You do you know? think that it's held against... Do you think that he heard it or that they heard it or something? And I assume he's heard it at this yeah. stage. Uh, Glenn Hansard mentioned it to him uh, around 
Christmas last year, and the conversation just swiftly moved on. Oh, so I was like, ooh, maybe he, uh, maybe he did, maybe he didn't take kindly to me calling the callers or the people that ring up the show bleeding idiots. <laughs> he, he's somebody. thinking that as well. <laughs> There is some agents on it, but also lovely people. Well, on it, so. I mean, like, there's there's a couple of versions of Liveline. You know, you have that mad one that they had where it was somebody saw a saint in a banister oh, yeah. or something like that. That oh. was relatively recently. But then you have the other side, which is the very important side where... Are you saying uh, the saint in the banister isn't important? <laughs> that is I literally mean, a heartbeat of this country. <laughs> <laughs> compared to, you know... Liveline was driving the, they were driving the whole conversation around the Spiritans' abuse yeah. and stuff over like a good week and a half or, or longer, you know, and some of the stories that were told. So, you know, I, I stand up for for Liveline. Yeah, all it's the an time. amazing. I know people entity. who don't like it. But. It's, it gets stuff done in this country in a way that, in a way that, uh, a lot of politicians yeah. in the doll don't. Yeah. You know, it takes people actually ringing up Joe and like going to town passionate and like kind of like mobilizing an entire country to actually get something done which is I, where else do you get that you know yeah yeah um three lovely lassies from kimmage i think it's banjo is the only instrument on the song yeah. adam was that always your your instrument of choice yeah i i was given a guitar when i was for christmas when i was about 10 i think but didn't really suit me um then I just didn't bother trying to play anything till I was about 12 and then I got mad into listening to like the Dubliners, Clancy's, just all like ballads really and then later jigs and reels and hornpipes more so. Uh, but I, I always liked the sound of the banjo so just went for that. I was going to buy a five string banjo initially um, but I'm left handed you see so it's very hard to get a left handed five string banjo. I have one now, but I can't play it. Because um, <laughs> the fifth peg up the team, up the neck, you can't swap it over. So you can swap a right-handed tenor banjo around fairly easy, but uh, a five-string you'd have to get them custom-made and they're quite expensive. Wow. Jeez, there you go. Last night as I lay dreaming Of pleasant days gone by And me mind been bent on rambling To Ireland I did fly I stepped It be not the twenty 
and daughters of a Spansel Hill is an interesting song, set to the tune of House of the Rising Sun. Yeah, uh, uh, tell me about that. Um, Adam's idea, anyway. Um, we were on a train to Galway, uh, and uh, he brought up to me the Unbelievables in, I think it's the video, is it? Yeah, yeah, they do a cover of uh, Spanso Hill. Um, they do a reggae cover, of it, and it's brilliant. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it works really well. Like there's uh, an array of instruments on the stage, and we were just we were looking to mess with a few tunes. We tried the old triangle, and it didn't really work out. Uh, but that one did, and yeah, we, we had a lot of help from um, our sound engineer, the sound engineer that recorded the album, Chris Barry, and we kind of just laid out a bit of a vision to him, and he really helped us put it together, and uh, yeah, I enjoy playing it. Was it technically difficult to, to do, to kind of figure it all out? Once we got into it, not really. I think it was the first song we did, actually, like, we spent... <laughs> <laughs> Love the knowing laughter. We got Angus and Angus McGaldy's our cello player now. Um, but like we got, we got him in, he was actually there the first day of our recording before we were. <laughs> so we laid down our myself and Tomas laid down Spanzel Hill, just myself and himself playing it, and then Angus did it, played cello over, but uh, spent hours trying to get it right, and then didn't really realise that he was putting it over the wrong take. Yeah. So we had to do it again. Yeah. The, the, um, we, we also realised a we lot earlier. Know. We were too afraid we to were, say it. It was our first time ever in a recording studio. Oh, okay. And we just didn't really know, like, if something was wrong, do you, do you say it? No, the sound engineer will think I'm an idiot if I do. And we were both just too shy. And uh, Chris just goes, oh, my God, we, we did it to the wrong version. Did any of you guys cop that? And meekly we were just like actually yeah and he's like what <laughs> why didn't you say anything I didn't know if I was allowed <laughs> he's like you are paying for this lads I'm following your direction like, okay won't happen again sorry again probably a good learning curve like yeah, you, know, you, have, you have so, to just yeah. figure these things out yeah oh, poor Angus poor Angus yeah he came in and he wouldn't take any money from us that day next day he came in he gladly took the money off us <laughs> Um, you've got a couple of, ori- of originals on the album as well, The Hard- Hardest Working Men and Please Don't Start the Fun. Mm. Do you enjoy writing the like brand new originals? Yeah, yeah. So Adam and I wrote both of them together, uh, The Hard Working Men being the first one. Yeah. I think Adam came uh, Adam came up with the... Uh, the jingle. The jingle, pretty much, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, he had this idea for us being like... Us doing like a real country. Yeah, it was number. supposed to be like a western song. Yeah, um, it was like we we both both very much enjoy like kind of American country music, not the not the type now that uh, Phil Crow Park uh, a few nights in a row there, uh, but like <laughs> kind of like Guy Clark 
Steve Earle, Townsend's and sort of stuff. And we just had an idea of putting something like that together and it just ended up becoming like, we'll use this song to introduce us. And uh, and please don't start the fun. We wrote that, wrote that about a year and a half ago with our friend Stephen McCann upstairs. And we were actually up there rec- trying to record uh, a podcast. We've, we, we have a cobblestone podcast recorded that we're... We're sitting on about like eight episodes. We just haven't oh, released it yet. It interviews with a lot of like kind of pivotal people that would have played in here or, or just yeah, been been in these walls anyway. Just kind of telling stories about the place. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah pretty great. much. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully we get to do something with that uh, in the coming months. Uh, but we wrote that song up there, um, just all kind of like thrown in the lines together and. Yeah, I had a very good time writing that, and then it kind of evolved into into a, a different thing with like the chants and stuff like that. And we were gearing up to record it, and it just it wasn't working out. And then we got an opportunity to record it with uh, our friend Killian O'Flanagan, who was doing uh, he was doing a course in BIM on Francis Street, and had some studio time. Took us in. He did a lot of work with that, and then ran it by Chris Barry and Chris Barry was like yeah make maybe one bring a level up here or drop a level there and we decided really last minute to add it to the album but I think it tied the whole thing together I'm glad we did yeah that was uh one of the tune was it the only tune of yours that's in that documentary as well they showed yeah. you at uh, at other side festival yeah, yeah. Does, it does kind of have that festival vibe to yeah it, you know? it's a real uh it's a real sing-along yoke which like it's great that's what you want like if you're making music to perform in front of people you want to be able to engage in the minute because it's not just for you you know you're like if we're in a pub we're like we're the front line of that business you know the reason that people are coming you want them to have a good time you don't want to like isolate people you just the more people engage with our own music uh, like just Irish people playing music in general, but particularly if it leans towards like the the folk side or the trad side, the better, you know. Like, I think we've kind of been like hovering around the uh, the realm of shame uh, in uh, on our music. I know I was anyway when I was younger, and just to for it to be cool again, you know, and for for people to for people that. Uh, I've known for years that never really had an interest in it to be like engaging with it now and being going, oh, where are you playing? Where are, where are the Mary Wallopers playing? Where are John, where's John Francis Flynn playing? Like, that's so cool, you know? It's it's great to see, so. And where is John Francis Flynn on the album? If he's not the guy singing Dublin ah, and Dublin yeah, and Dublin. He is, he is. He's, he's littered all over it. He is. He's, uh, he's playing the flute on the hardworking men. Uh, he's playing the flute on... Bash, bash, bash. He's doing the synth on uh, Spansel Hill. Right, so uh, you got your money's worth out of himself. Yeah, yeah. Just tell you. That's <laughs> what happens when you have pictures of him and a goat. And his, his <laughs> album is something else, isn't it? Isn't like, it, yeah. it, ju- it just seems like, you know, I don't know, has it been a long time coming for yes, him? Yeah, you know, absolutely. this kind of like adulation, but yeah. he's really getting in now, Man. isn't he? Yeah, he, he, he's put in the work for so long and... Uh, and just, I just think just the way the scene was that, you know, not getting the credit he deserves. I remember him and I went for a can on the half pipe in Fairview Park 
I think around 2015 or 16, and he was like, man, I'm kind of at a crossroads. I'm thinking of going back to college, um, but I might actually stick it out with the music. What do you reckon? And I was like, man, I tell you, this is your friend. Absolutely go back to college, <laughs> man. <laughs> and he didn't make that decision, and it's the best decision he ever made because like, he's getting recognised for how, how truly great he is. It's fantastic to see, you know. Yeah, and he seems, you know, kind of like to know everybody as well, and yeah. to be friends with everybody, and like playing on people's albums. Oh, well. he's he's just the work he's done for the scene himself, and like he, we're all like kind of standing on the shoulders of giants here, like Lancome over the last ten years put in an amazing amount of work and brought so much relevancy back to uh, like Irish folk music and. They they really gave John a leg up, and John is just John has just used this platform to bring. He's brought us up. Like that's rising tide lifts all ships. Yeah, great, yeah. great. Um, last couple of questions because I know we've been talking for a while. I won't keep you too much longer, but we'll fin we'll finish off the last couple of uh, songs on the album anyway. A health to the company, really beautiful song. Like, do you, do you see that as where you're going to go in the future? Kind of like these. No, no. Do you, like, do you, sorry. Do you have a preference, like, for these really like beautiful songs, or do you prefer the kind of more raucous, rousing kind uh, of songs? Like, or does it's it? It's nice it just to spend? throw in. It's nice to throw in a nice little softy yeah. every now and again. You can't make a salad with just leaves. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. No, it's good. I don't know. Not show off how you can do a, a slow song, but it's good to have a couple of slow kind of more sensitive songs if you like yeah it's not even really a slow song it's kind of sang a bit more uh upbeat um but just that we, we we just we decided we just wanted to fuck with songs you know and like do something different and that's a song that my granda sang and to me it was always a particularly sad song because uh the first time i ever heard him sing it was in a room full of people that were never all in that same place again and it's 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 very much a, a parenting class, but I only heard him really singing it in the twilight of his life. So I don't know. I kind of maybe decided to reimagine the song in in a theme that, or in a feeling that I felt about it whenever I heard it sang. So tried tried my hand at singing it that way. I think it worked out well. Yeah, yeah. And Green and Red of Mayo. I have it down as a Saw Doctor song, is that right? It is a Saw yeah, Doctor yeah. song, yeah. You don't yeah. hear Saw Doctors kind of mentioned as an influence. I don't know, are they, are they much? Yeah, I don't think that they get enough of a, a shout out. Yeah. Uh, I think they're kind of like, they're, they're known as Mac. N17, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. I, my, look, I, I know a load of people, my sister's crew, uh, great band, uh, the Len Collective, they, they're all mad for the Saw Doctors, they love them. Um, I don't have a drop of blood in me from Mayo, but I have a load, a load, a heap of friends from Mayo, and uh, and Adam has met them, uh, and oh, terrible people, awful <laughs> people that we have uh, had the misfortune of becoming friends with throughout the years, and uh, I just think it's a great county with great people, uh, so. Slightly tortured as well with the whole. Oh, not absolutely! Money. Yeah, but that's their own fault, you know. Like, lads, come it smells on. Smells unfortunate place in the world, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, yeah, we wanted to do a tribute to them on the album, and um, where are you from, Mayo? <laughs> <laughs> Go on, it. <laughs> yeah, just wanted to give them a, a nod, 
nod to God's county, as they call it. <laughs> Very good. So, so what's next for you guys? I mean, um, you've already talked through your plans for the rest of the year, playing with the um, scratch around yeah. the place. Have you thought about the next album, the next batch of songs? So, so well, we, we never actually got to do an album launch because of this tour that we're doing with the lads. Uh, so we will we'll be doing that maybe, maybe around after January. Yeah, no point in doing it. If, yeah, well, yeah. Everyone, well, everyone's dry. It's a dead you month. Know. Yeah. yeah, it's a dead month. You know. Um, yeah, I said I think we I think we both have ideas percolating around our heads about uh, stuff that could be on the next album. I know uh, Angus, the cello player, uh, Porrick Oak, the saxophone player and pipe player, and Kinko Kelly, the baritone player. All have ideas as well. Um, sometime, maybe in the spring, we'll get in again and start throwing stuff together. Um, oh, you better not take three years again. No, no, it can't. It can't take three years again to put the next one together. But yeah, we've got a few nice things that we'd like to put on it uh, without revealing much. You see, if you want to, if you want to figure out what that is, you'll have to come and see us. There we go. We uh, yeah, you said all of the all of the sessions that you're doing earlier yeah. in the podcast. So there, there we go. Um, last question, put you on the spot here. What do you have like a favorite Irish band of the past? Like there's a lot of there's a couple of Chieftain songs on the album. I don't know would they be up there for you, or is that just too hard to answer? It has to be the Dubliners for me. Like. Yeah, yeah. 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 Be them, but just to say a different answer to Adam uh, the Pogues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we've kind of yeah we've bonded through our interest in the Dubliners uh, The Unbelievables also would have been a big influence on that's us in, that's interesting I've never yeah. heard people they're, they're great yeah. I, I really think that they get overlooked in uh, just how like they just had like kind of an inside line to the Irish psyche I think particularly the rural psyche they're yeah. just They've kind of been forgotten about, I guess, a little bit, just yeah. because John John Short, isn't it? Or uh, Pat Pat Ken. Or sorry, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Jesus Pat Kenny and John Short. <laughs> I love the unbelievable Pat Short and John Kenny. <laughs> he, like he kind of went for the acting side, so I don't think they've really done much and kind of. They're actually in that film. The uh, the Banshees of Inisherin. Oh, oh I haven't, I haven't oh, seen yeah. that. Pat Short is the barman, and John Kenny is a stand around. So. Drinking at the bar. Oh, good man! It's only for a few minutes, but it's the only funny bit in the film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to seeing so, that. So they've got a, a good few tunes, do they? I, I know so little about them. I remember musicians. watching the videos like back in '95, but I can't think of a single thing about the, them. To be they honest. are they're fantastic musicians, but I think it was uh, the, the caper in particular that uh, that really uh, drew us to them. And like in our early years as a band. Uh, it, it was more that we were just taking the piss out of everything, making videos about everything, and uh, yeah, like kind of like I don't know, pulling stunts uh, before we decided we need to. It, we're actually a band. We need to focus on the music here. Uh, so like they would have been an influence in that sense. The Pogues, um, the Pogues was probably the one thing that kept me tied to the music when I was rebelling against it because. They were punk, and I, they were just cool to me. But the Dubliners, I would say. Cool, yeah. cool. Nice one, guys. Thanks a lot for the chat. Thank you very much, John.
Well, would you look at the state of the country? It's all gone to the dogs. Me landlord's poisoning me water, and it's killing all me frogs. They're putting up the price of the motor tax, the sea level and the drink. I called me plumber six weeks ago And he still hasn't fixed me sink Well, there's a man down in Donnybrook You can tell him Come on and talk to Joe And we'll talk to Joe We'll talk to Joe We'll talk to Joe, I tell you, Joe, it's an absolute disgrace. And they've stopped accepting Sterling down in the Dundalk mess. And I haven't slept a wink, Joe, me head's a bloody mess. I'm getting married in the morning And the dog just hit the dress So I think I'm gonna call up Lifeline And I'll give the nation stink And I tell you it's a bloody
turkey in the fridge last night And today the whore was dead So I think I'll sit down on the sofa And I'll pour a glass of wine There's so many bloody agents on the